Good morning. This is the stream of random. Time for your morning walk with Mike. We're back in New Jersey. I'm walking up a hill. Excuse my heavy breathing. I'm out for my morning walk. And you're invited to join me. Today, while <clears throat> browsing the tweeters, I came across a tweet about a cyber saint. This was very interesting. And they have him in a glass tomb. He died 10 years ago. And he looks like he's very well preserved. So, <clears throat> his name is Carlo Acutis, and um, he died at Le of leukemia in 2006. And um, he uh, supposedly healed a gravely ill boy in Brazil and is now being declared a saint for that for one healing so that's pretty cool I mean to do one healing and be con considered a saint for that that's pretty awesome now And um, they're saying that they want to encourage the journey of holiness by the whole church, especially the young. So it's not a political move of them to call this kid into sainthood, because um, uh, he's a geek. He was, he's your first cyber saint. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he cataloged all the miracles of the world in a project that he started with 11. And then he died of leukemia with 15, which is pretty damn bad for such a young kid to pass. But he was very much into the church. And he built a website of all the miracles. And now he, have his, he has his own miracle of his own so he could be put into his own website. And um, <clears throat> you can see pictures of him. And he looks like he's just sleeping. And he's in a glass case with sneakers. So somehow um, they preserved his body for 10 years with no um, they say the body is not incorrupt but it's almost intact so I guess being incorrupt means your body doesn't decay or something 
See, I'm not all into the whole sainthood thing, and I don't know all about that. But I just wanted to share that with you guys because I thought it was some random, <clears throat> random information for the stream of random, and you could look it up yourself. Carlo Acutis. Okay. So I'll give you my little weather report. It is beautiful, clear sky. Temperature feels about 50. It's 5.35 in the morning in central New Jersey. Now, we were, where we were up into up north in um, Pennsylvania, it was a lot colder. And the river there brought this fog. We were also on the valley, in the valley of the river, and there was just this cold air that came through, which was really, phew. playing with my cables here yeah I've gotten rid of the whole Bluetooth thing no more Bluetooth for me no more batteries that go a bit dead I have a whole collection of dead Bluetooth headsets where you can't change the batteries you can't recharge them <clears throat> I'm seeing Mars and the moon and that looks like Venus all lined up. So that's good to see some consistency in the sky, really. We're seeing the same thing every morning, but in different positions. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, our listenership has gone up to six. Looks like we gained a new listener yesterday. Probably because I sent the podcast to a friend. She might have listened to it once. I'm hoping we're going to achieve something like a emergent system where out of this podcast emerges something new and interesting that we haven't foreseen. And I'm already thinking about how I could improve the quality. I've got a whole bunch of uh, clips lined up, or things to listen to, a humongous stack, and um, this is a sheer mountain of knowledge that needs to be dug, dug into. Now, I continued listening to the MIT um, 
professor. And he talked about artificial intelligence some more, about this simple program that was able, that was written by an almost blind student on an ancient 32K computer, 32 kilobytes of RAM, in a variant of Lisp, a primitive Lisp that would solve <clears throat> integration questions at the level of a freshman at MIT. And it did so with three principles. One, it applied simple, non-destructive transformations as much as possible. Then it built up a tree of possible uh, next steps. Well, I suppose it built up a tree from the beginning of all of the, all of the uh, transformations. I mean. <clears throat> I guess you could start from the initial equation and then build a tree out from there. <clears throat> and um, then it tried destructive transformations or heuristics, one, just one, um, on the remaining stuff. And then it reevaluated the tree again, looking for simple transformations and um, picking the simplest equation to work on next. And with, I think, 40 some rules, he was able to solve the hardest equations. <clears throat> from the previous years on the tests so that's pretty cool um, well first of all That inspired me to get back into uh, algebra where I left off because I got mighty confused in algebra and I was so slow at it and I guess I didn't have the right approach the right attitude I wasn't using the right part of my brain and I really want to go back and revisit that <clears throat> because I think I can learn something from it. And I see how he's using it in this course and how it's actually being used all the time. Like algebra is the glue, the glue 
like all of this mathematics. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's a to-do for me. And then I want to pick up on some things we talked about yesterday. So Chomsky said, and I know that he wasn't using Chomsky as a, um, in the sense of communism yesterday. When I talked about him, because Chomsky was also a linguist and a philosopher and distinguished MIT professor. And he said that um, these, this mutation 50,000 years ago, when there was this great reduction in population, was that men were able to connect to symbols, com combine them into a third indefinitely without destroying them, creating chains of symbolic reasoning. But um, I do think that his choice of Chomsky uh, was some kind of message. And um, <clears throat> I'm gonna have to research a little bit more into things. But, um, you know, when alarm flags are set, even if they're just simple ones, this could be my artificial stupidity, just blindly following rules and picking up on things that um, are just hunches or axioms or whatever you want to call them, <clears throat> simple symbols, simple pattern matching. And obviously simple pattern matching is not enough for deep thought and deep understanding. So we're going to get deeper, people. We're going to go deep. But a good conspiracy theory doesn't need a whole lot of facts. The idea of the cyber communist chairperson It's something we can name to talk about it. And I'm just going to give you some a rough outline of what I think that is. Again, just a recap. <clears throat> so, well, first of all, the the cyber-communist chairperson is the algorithm, the artificial intelligence algorithm. 
that will boost. It will boost the power of the young millennials who feed it. And raise them up over the what are they? The boomers? And I guess the Gen Xs are next, huh? So it's a generational conflict for one. And it's a meme. It's a subconscious meme, I think. It's the idea of the religion of computing. I mean, if we have a cyber saint, right? Who's to say we can't have a cyber communist chairperson running things? And it doesn't really mean that it has to be an intelligent one. It can be an artificially intelligent one. Meaning, <clears throat> all disputes are settled by the board, which are your millennials sitting in Austin, you know, resolving your disputes on face for Facebook or for Google or for whatever. So we'll see that we're getting quite close to that. In little pockets but it's more that the algorithm will tell you what to like and it'll tell you where to click on and it will boost your bubble so So let's summarize this now. <clears throat> so it will give power to the unpowered and give them the hope of a takeover. Not as a army, not as a, but the idea of creating the machine, the singularity that will rise to power, ascend to heaven, and take them with them. They will be on the, uh, on the right side of history. Okay? So basically, like, the candidate, their candidate is the algorithm, right? That's their ticket. So that's number one, they're part of a team, a group marching forward on the long march towards equality to end the tyranny. Um, <clears throat> And it doesn't have to be perfect. It could be a primitive thing. So we already have it. 
and not only will it resolve conflicts and gate power it's going to block or destroy or bring down the bad people anyone who opposes it <clears throat> through its massive data collection and funny enough it'll be funded by people clicking on ads which is the perverse thing the perverse thing is that <clears throat> well let's just bring it to me but I have no idea where Anchor is going but I believe that it's also going to be going in the wrong direction and that we're going to have to get off this train soon. You know, it might be going to some internment camp. Like, one thing that really bugs me about Anchor is that as soon as I post my podcast, I get one or two listens. Like, even in the middle of the night. And I think that's really strange. Something's up there. So something is listening to the podcast automatically. So that kind of bothers me. All right. But basically, by feeding Anchor my podcast, I might very well be also feeding my enemy with information. Enemy meaning... the cyber-communist chairperson. The AI. Now the question was, is the AI malignant, or is it just used in a malignant way? Is it intent on creating... Is it completely biased in its creation by its creators? Or is it just biased by its operators and how it's used. Now these are deep questions in terms of training, training data, and feedback, and algorithms. And that could be a good topic of research that we don't know. We don't know how biased 
the AI is? Or are they just people trying to do good that happen to do wrong, like Faust? Making a deal with the devil? The devil says he's the ghost. He's the, the spirit that always wants to do good, but always does bad. bin der Geist, der stets verneint. Der immer das Gute will und stets das Böse schafft. Something like that. Is our deal with artificial intelligence opening up the gates of hell? As the one guy put it, Tim Dillon, in his recent sh uh, episode, which was pretty damn good. <clears throat> or is this just the natural progression of memes duking it out? So I don't have these answers, and I don't have the um, one-sidedness enough to deliver you a few a, a true conspiracy theory. The only thing I can give you is something to think about, and I caution you that we don't have enough information, but we got the, a start of a good story. We have the start of a good narrative. It could make a nice book. Or a nice movie. Or anime. Now, I used to play this game called Paranoia. Which was about the computer creating a totalitarian society. Futuristic one. That was pretty cool. <clears throat> and you had, I mean, it was basically all the ingredients of a dystopian future all rolled in together. Surveillance state, cloning, eating human bodies that were made into some goo. The vats and uh, everything else you can think of. We should do a recap on that. And of course, it was the computer that was running everything. So that was a dystopian future with the computer running things.
yeah, we need to think about this some more. And um, I'm going to need more time. I don't have the answers for you. But stay tuned to this podcast for more on this topic and others. So um, let's let's move on. I think we should play a little roulette where we're going to just pick a random podcast to play. I'm going to play a clip from it. That could be fun. Because I have got so many I have to get through. My phone is filling up. I don't even know what to listen to next. I've got new stuff. I've got old stuff. I've picked up some clips on um, my history into the America First Party. But we haven't processed these yet at all. I mean, I listened to some of them. I think there's a lot of obfuscation going on there, and it's going to be very difficult to understand. And I also think that um, we don't have to look so far back into the past to find bad stuff. We can find it today, everywhere. And we also know that we're in varying degrees of illusion and disinformation. That we're not informed about what we do, rarely. And there's also the questions of risk cost of science and it turns out that science requires a lot of math that math is hard and a lot of thought That requires years of training and a good mind. Well, so what I'm trying to say is that we're really stuck 
in a situation we're at an informational disadvantage let's put it that way we're at an informational disadvantage we don't know everything that the big data companies have collected on us right like all this information we've given them we don't even have all this data like most of us are struggling to find things but what if we had the resources of these large companies that we've given them through clicking on ads What if we had some of those resources for storing our own data, right? And processing it, and then they get into the processing. Like, who's going to process all this data? <clears throat> and for what purpose do we process it? These are the questions <clears throat> I'm just thinking about the searches, the types of searches you'd want to be able to do. Now this is getting to get into just some of the things I've been thinking about in terms of the introspector, and I know you guys are going to dread to hear about that again because I go on for hours about the stuff that no one wants to hear about. But let's just imagine that you could collect all types of data on your activities on the computer. Your mouse clicks, your keyboard strokes, what web pages you visit, what programs you're using. And you had that all stored on a big, bigger machine. And we can get into how many levels of recursion that you're going to need like oh well are you going to audit what you do on that big machine well i guess you have to do it some way like if you're interacting with a big machine you're going to have to you're going to create new records in the big machine as to what queries you're running okay but we're not going to go into there into that recursive tailspin right now but let's just say Let's just say that um, uh, 
that you can collect a lot of information from running programs and that will go down to too much information and not enough too much data not enough information so we can just go crazy on data collection until we get overloaded and finding the happy medium requires that we have a purpose <clears throat> and right now the purpose is tracking user behavior to serve them advertising We're tracking user behavior to determine if they're a threat right? or something more sinister but mostly systems are built for one purpose and to serve people advertising they want to increase their engagement so they have more eyeballs on the screen and um, <clears throat> Joe Rogan was saying that the algorithm has discovered that by causing conflict they can increase engagement So, the question becomes, again, are these systems built to, um, push one agenda or the other or they built just to validate whatever agenda they're being used for have the people just found a way to trick the system for their purposes Or has a system built by people who tricked them? Where does it begin? Where does it end? And it might not be that simple. It might be a big feedback loop. So we don't know. We just don't know. All right, <clears throat> we're going to uh, take a break and we're going to play some clips.
All right, then. Well, I started listening to a clip. And, um... It's Richard Karp. And, uh... He has, uh... Done all kinds of crazy proofs in mathematics. And he said as a kid... He would get himself to go to sleep by multiplying two against each other. And uh, I thought I would try that. So I spent the last hour, half an hour, trying to multiply two with himself. And I discovered all types of interesting things. Um, Well, first of all, I was observing my mind, how I was doing it. And I realized that I was attacking it in parallel in many different ways. And my mind was all over the place looking at the problem from so many different angles at the same time. And that it was hard to coordinate all the thoughts. So I'm developing some kind of insight into mathematics that um, maybe the hard part is joining the different branches, different parallel branches of computation in your mind. So that's one thing. Now, I also noticed the uh, base that if you have um, a number in base 2 like um, and you want to multiply them you can just add the the bit number together so kind of like a logarithm <clears throat> if you have two numbers you take the logarithm base two of them and you add those logarithms together it'll multiply them so if i have um let's say four so two four eight in base two that's um one two and three right so eight times eight would be three plus three so it's two four eight sixteen 32, um, 64, so that would be 6, so 2, 4, 8, so 3 plus 3 is 6, and 8 times 8 is 64, so that's the, um, if you add them together, you get the square, right? So that was kind of interesting to contemplate. And then I was looking at these numbers um, and looking at um, how uh, you've got different bases. You could do base four and base eight and base 16 math, right? We're doing all base 10. 
but um, if I'm looking only at the, bind, the, the powers of 2, and I'm multiplying 2 times 2, it's funny that it's much easier to do that in base 2, of course. You just shift to the left one, right? You take 1 and you shift it over. So the question is not really... The question is how do you transform from one base system to the other? <clears throat> and there's all types of interesting properties um, of these numbers and these different bases. And it creates a whole network of relationships. It's not just a simple number line. So yeah, I was thinking about that, and it's really a beautiful thing. And um, I think I need more discipline in my thoughts and how to uh, <clears throat> How to join these different things together, these different parts, and give it some structure. So, um, yeah, that was fun. And, um, yeah, this is the Stream of Random podcast, where we talk about random stuff, and uh, we don't always follow rules. And we have ideas that are running in parallel. I do. And seemingly randomly, with seemingly little structure. Now, Wolfram said that it doesn't matter what order you do your mathematics. Because one thing leads to another. You do them all in parallel, but how do you join them together? <clears throat> and um, I guess multiplying is just adding so many times. But of course there's shortcuts and squaring is just multiplying the number by itself so we're not going to go crazy on this right now and i'm going to continue listening to this guy um, who's the most amazing mathematician that likes interviews I'm going to try and pull out a clip for you. We'll see what we can do. And I got some good shopping done today. All reduction. All right. Let's go. Yeah. Now, zooming out again, as you write, Don Knuth has called attention to a breed of people who uh, derive great aesthetic pleasure from contemplating the structure of computational processes. So Don calls these folks geeks. Mm -hmm. And you write that you remember the moment you realized you were such a person, you were shown the Hungarian algorithm to solve the assignment problem. Right. So perhaps you can explain. Okay, 
so that was a little introduction to geekdom. Now he's going to go on to describe the Hungarian matching theory, and I'm not going to play that whole clip, but basically he's representing the cost of pairing individuals with a matrix, and then he's going to <clears throat> subtract from columns and maybe add those values back to other columns in a way to reduce things down to zero, finding the shortest path. And then um, eventually he'll zero out the whole thing and find his solution. So quite interesting solution. As long as they don't go negative, you're good. And I had a little vision about how these um, people would, the boys on the left and the girls on the right, would get closer and closer until they made matches. <sighs> kind of like in that game, <clears throat> there's this great game called Mule, where you had the buyers on the top and the sellers, well, the sellers on the top and the buyers on the bottom, and the sellers would walk down towards the buyers, and when they met in the middle, they would start to transfer at a certain price. And if the buyer didn't want to buy anymore, he would step back. And if the seller wanted to meet his price at a lower price, he would step forward. And it was this great market simulation. I loved it. And um, that's kind of the vision I had a little bit of the boys and the girls meeting in the middle until they got to the price zero. So I don't know. It was just an intuition. Anyway, he's going to talk about geekdom geekiness in general in the next clip and I think it's great I'm gonna send this off to uh, one of our co-hosts who's also a major geek so won't name any names though did you see computers as tools as mathematical mechanisms to analyze sort of sort of theoretical computer science or is the AI folks which is an entire other community of dreamers yeah. uh, as something that could one day have human-level intelligence. Well, AI wasn't very much on my radar. I did read uh, Turing's paper about the... Uh, the, uh, the, um, the Turing test, computing the, and the intelligence. Yeah, the Turing test. Um, what did you think about that paper? Was that just like science fiction? Um, I thought that it wasn't a very good test because it was too subjective. So I, I didn't feel that I didn't feel that the Turing test was really the right way to calibrate how intelligent a, an algorithm could be. But to linger on that, do you think it's pot because you've come up with some incredible tests later on, tests on algorithms, right? Yeah. That are uh, like strong, reliable, robust across a bunch of different classes of algorithms. But returning to this emotional mess that is intelligence, yeah. do you think it's possible to come up with a test that's as ironclad as some of the computational complexity work? Well, I think the greater question is whether it's possible to achieve human level, level intelligence. Right. So that's so. First of all, let me at the philosophical level. Do you think it's possible to create algorithms that reason and would seem to us to have the same kind of intelligence as human beings? It's an open question. Um, it seems to me that um, 
most of the achievements have uh, acquired, uh, operate within a very limited set of ground rules and for a very limited, precise task, which is a quite different situation from the processes that go on in the minds of humans, which where they have to sort of function in changing environments. They have emotions. They have um, um, physical attributes for acquire for exploring their environment. Um, they have intuition. They have desires, um, emotions, and I don't see anything in the current achievements of what's called AI that come close to that capability. I don't think there's any computer program which surpasses a six-month-old child in terms of comprehension of the world. Do you think this complexity of human intelligence, all the cognitive abilities we have, all the emotion, do you think that could be reduced one day or just fundamentally, can it be reduced to an al a set of algorithms or an algorithm? So can a Turing machine <laughs> achieve human level intelligence? I am doubtful about that. I guess the argument in favor of it is that the human brain seems to achieve what we call intelligence, cognitive abilities of different kinds. And if you buy the premise that the human brain is just a, an enormous interconnected set of switches, so to speak, then in principle you should be able to diagnose what that interconnection structure is like, characterize the individual switches, and build a, a simulation outside. But why that may be true in principle, that cannot be the way we're eventually going to tackle this problem. It's, you know, <laughs> ignoring that. That does not seem like a feasible way to go about it. So it, there is, however, an existence proof that um, uh, if you believe that the brain is is just a network of, of neurons operating by rules, I guess you could say that that's an existence proof of the ability to build uh, the capabilities of a mechanism, um, but it would be almost impossible to acquire the information unless we got enough insight into the operation of the brain. But there's so much mystery there. Do you think, well, what do you make of consciousness, for example? The okay, guys, this will be the last clip for today. <clears throat> the day is uh, going to begin for me. I'm going to get some work done. It's Monday. Highly caffeinated. Caffeinated. I had a nice three-hour walk. Well, I went shopping for half an hour. But um, starting the day off fresh and fit. And we have something to think about. Now, this is going to get into... The this is going to play into the communist uh, chairperson. The cyber communist chairperson has no soul because everything there is no soul, there's no religion in communism. 
we only have brutal realism um, and there's no God because religion is opium for the people remember that so <clears throat> if we can reduce um, intelligence down to switches he says and if the brain is just switches then we could prove by existence that it is possible to simulate intelligence using switches because the brain is just switches but if the brain is not switches just switches then we cannot create intelligence on a machine because we need something more than switches so if we have a soul let's say or spirit or something something else if there is something else besides the switches then the computers can't take us over but for the communists it is clear there is no soul there is no spirit so I think this is another aspect that we have to add to our list of characteristics for the chairperson that the, he has no soul all right well then thank you very much for listening and I hope to hear from you my listeners and we are going to be moving to a new platform soon and I will be telling you about that not soon but I'm preparing to jump to a new podcasting platform and I will let you know when that happens all right then so there's something about that elegance that made you go aha this is a beautiful like it's it's uh it's amazing that something like this something so simple can solve a problem like this yeah it's it's really cool if i had mechanical ability i would probably like to do woodworking or other activities where you sort of shape something uh in, in into something beautiful and orderly and there's something about the orderly systematic nature of uh, that iterative algorithm that is pleasing to me. So what do you think about this idea of geeks, as Don Knuth calls them? What do you think of, is it something uh, specific to a mindset that allows you to discover the elegance in computation processes, or is this all of us, can all of us discover this beauty? Or were you born this way? <laughs> I think so. I always like to play with numbers. I I, uh, I used to uh, amuse myself by multiplying four-digit decimal numbers in my head and um, putting myself to sleep by starting with one and doubling the number as long as I could go and uh, testing my memory, my ability to retain the information. And I also and, read somewhere that you uh, you wrote that you enjoyed... Uh, showing off to your friends by, I believe, multiplying four-digit numbers. Uh, right. A, a couple of four-digit numbers. Yeah, I had a, a summer job at a beach resort outside of Boston. And uh, the other employee, I, I was the barker at a skee-ball game. Yeah. I used to I used to sit at a microphone, microphone saying, come one, come all, come in and play ski ball, five cents to play, a nickel to win, and so on. <laughs> that's what a barker, I was gonna, uh, I wasn't sure if I should know, but barker, that's, so you're the, 
the charming, outgoing person is getting people to uh, come in. Yeah, well, I wasn't particularly charming, but I could be very repetitious and loud. <laughs> and um, the other employees were uh, sort of ju juvenile delinquents who had no <laughs> academic bent, but somehow I found that I could impress them by uh, by uh, performing this mental 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 arithmetic. You know, there's something to that. There you know, one of some of the most popular videos on the internet is uh, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Numberphile that shows off different mathematical ideas. I see. There, there's still something really profoundly interesting to people about math. Mm -hmm. The the beauty of it. Something even if they don't understand uh, the basic concept even being discussed, there's something compelling to it. What, what do you think that is? Any lessons you drew from the your early teen years when you were showing off <laughs> to your friends with the numbers? Like, is uh, what is it that attracts us to the beauty of mathematics, do you think? The general population, not just uh, the computer scientists and math, the mathematicians. I think that it, you, know, you can do amazing things. You can test whether large numbers are prime. You can... Uh, um, you can solve little puzzles about ca cannibals and missionaries. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a kind of achievement. It's, it's, it's puzzle solving. And at a higher level, the fact that you can, you can do this reasoning, that you can prove in an absolutely ironclad way that the, some of the angles of the triangle is 180 degrees. Yeah. It's a nice escape from the messiness of the real world where nothing can be proved. So, and we'll talk about it, but sometimes the ability to map the real world into such problems where you can't prove it is, is, a, is a powerful step. Yeah. And it's amazing cool. that we can do it. Of course, it. another attribute of geeks is they, they're not necessarily uh, endowed with emotional intelligence. And so they can live in a world of abstractions without having to. Uh, master the complexities of uh, dealing with people. So, j just to linger on the historical 